Good evening, everyone. Thanks for being here. Great to see you on this Wednesday evening. Uh, Linda and I were treated um, this afternoon to see Dublin, and uh, uh, Bethany and Hannah took us to a number of places, and we saw the Book of Kells. Looking at the Gospel of Matthew, written over a thousand years ago, that was really amazing. But aren't you glad that the God has preserved his word for us? Uh, scribes over the centuries copying the manuscripts so that now scholars can identify 5,000 Greek manuscripts written over the centuries until the printing press was invented. We can put all those together and have confidence that the God's word has been transmitted accurately. So yeah, it was a real treat. We're really grateful for that. Um, what I'd like to do tonight is talk a little bit with you a little bit more about how to cross the Jordan. Uh, Pastor David mentioned uh, that precious comment from his granddaughter. And I know that that's been uh, a real concern of mine. You know, am I in Canaan? Have I accepted Christ as my life? Have I uh, appropriated my identification with Christ? And how can I help someone else on that journey? And uh, I've had the privilege of working um, with this Christian counselor who developed these materials uh, for these last 15 plus years. And one of the outlines that we've used is really based on what uh, Brother Van Gelderen was preaching on, but I'd like to just show you some, some ways to, to use that with the diagrams we've been using. Remember what we've been saying about um, how to illustrate the abundant life? For example, uh, we started, remember, with the wheel diagram, and we used that wheel diagram to uh, kind of show us that God made us with these three dimensions. Remember that? So you have your body, you have your soul, and you have your spirit. So the body, the part of us that we're so familiar with, the Bible says when you're born again, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And when you look in the mirror, you know, you may not say, oh, a temple of the Holy Spirit. But that's what the Bible says, right? 1 Corinthians six nineteen. You, if you're a true believer, are the dwelling place of Almighty God. If you believe that, would you raise your hand? That's what Scripture says. That gives us a new dignity, a new potential, uh, a new source of power. So... The outward part, you know, is, is the, the outer temple, but you've got your soul. Remember, your soul has your mind, will, and emotions. But even animals have a mind and will and emotions. If you have a dog or a cat, you probably realize they have a bit of a personality. But only those of us made in God's image, human beings, have this spirit that can relate to God. Way back in Genesis, we see that God took that dust of the ground and breathed into it, the breath of life, and, and man became a living soul. You got the three elements there. The material part, the dust, that became your body. The breath of life, that's your spirit. Man became a living soul, body, soul, spirit, right from the beginning. So when you receive Christ as Savior, your spirit becomes reunited with God. You become a new creation at that spirit level. But the question is, what about your mind, will, and emotions? So we've been talking about that, haven't we? Um, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, how God restores our soul as we surrender to him and claim by faith our identification with Christ. We've spoken about identification this way, right back from Romans 6, that remember eternal life is Christ's life, that eternal life with no beginning and no end. And we said that you were in this um, line here in Adam that may not look like you, but use your imagination, okay? That's who you were before you were saved. You were headed to hell. You were separated from God. But when you 
believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, represented by this stick figure here, that represents Christ, who died for you and rose again. When you received him, God took you out of Adam, and he grafted you into this eternal lifeline. So the eternal life of Christ bonds with your spirit. At the core of you, you become a new creation. And one of the things that's exciting about that is it connects you uh, with the cross. So the old you was crucified with Christ and buried. So you can say goodbye to that old identity. It's a temple of God. And the flag up here says that this is a royal castle. And now King Jesus, because he is, is uh, the truth, he's going to guide thinker to think and believe what is true. And because he is loving, he's going to guide chooser to choose what is loving and kind. And because he is the Prince of Peace, King Jesus is going to help feeler feel security and peace and joy. Sounds good, doesn't it? And the missions that go out of that castle are going to be helpful and positive and, and are going to encourage others. However, it's possible as someone who is a child of God, who's a believer, uh, to allow this door of fellowship to close. See that middle partition between the throne room and where the soldiers are? That represents the distinction between your spirit over here on the right and your soul on the left. And notice that if that door closes, we'll call it the door of fellowship. Everybody say door of fellowship. Door of fellowship. If that door of fellowship closes, then first of all, King Jesus doesn't leave, right? The Bible says he will never leave us or forsake us. But that will hinder the rule of King Jesus. It will hinder his his uh, influence in the life of thinker, chooser, feeler. So now if this door of fellowship closes, thinker starts to remember the old ways. And maybe there's some books on the shelf that he starts reading and gets the wrong idea of some of the old patterns. And chooser starts to remember choosing uh, independent, selfish ways. And feeler starts to revert back to anger and fear and, and those other things. And sometimes the missions are not going to be what King Jesus wants. And friends, this represents what the Bible teaches in Ephesians 4.30, that you and I can grieve the Holy Spirit. Remember that? So if we let the door of fellowship close, we can grieve the Spirit. We can do things that, that don't please the King of Kings. Or in the words of 1 Thessalonians 5, we can quench the Spirit. He wants to love through you. He wants to serve through you. If we say, no, don't want to. You know, if we close the door of fellowship, we're hindering his influence and his power. Well, if Billy is born again, but he still goes back to pulling his sister's hair, okay, he's letting the door of fellowship close, and what does he need to do? He needs to confess that sin, but it's not about thinker, chooser, feeler trying to do better, is it? What needs to happen? Anybody? You need to open the door of fellowship, right? So the Bible says if we yield to the Holy Spirit and trust Christ to live through us once again, even at fireworks, isn't that good? If we yield to him and trust him to live through us, once again, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so as we yield to him and trust King Jesus to live through us, once again, he guides us to believe what's true, empowers us to choose what's loving, and gives us peace and joy, and the missions will be fulfilling the great, great commandment and great commission. You know, in Revelation 3.20, we have a verse, Revelation 3.20. The risen Christ says, I stand at the door, and what? And knock. He is standing at the door of your heart, friend. He's in your spirit, but he's standing at the door of your soul, knocking. And what does he want us to do? He wants us to open the door 
saying, Lord Jesus, live your life through me. Renew my mind. Fill my will with your love. Heal my damaged emotions. And, and may the missions that go through my life reflect your priorities and your kingdom. Linda and I were met in a Christian music group, and before uh, we would sing, a, um, before we'd have a meal in a church before a concert, we would uh, sing a song kind of rallying everybody together, the 14 of us scattered everywhere in the building. And our, I think we could sing the song. Why don't, would you welcome my, my wife, my soloist, to come forward and sing? This is a... You've heard Handel's Messiah. This is almost the same. No, not really. This is not exactly highbrow music, but um, this takes us way back to the 70s. But do you think we remember the words to that? I hope so. I hope so, too. <clears throat> Ready? Jesus has the table spread where the saints of God are fed. He invites his chosen people come and dine. With his manna he doth feed and supplies our every need. Tis so sweet to sup with Jesus all the time. Come and dine, the master calleth, come and dine. You can feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitude turned the water into wine. To the hungry calleth now, come and dine. Oh, come and Dino, come and dine. <laughs> I put her on the spot, so uh, thank you, Linda. But I, I love the words of that song, Come and Dine. That's a quote from John chapter 20. Our Lord was making breakfast after his resurrection. Come and dine. So, friends, he's asking you and me to come and dine with him. Revelation 3.20, if you open the door of fellowship, he says, I will dine with you. I will have breakfast with you, lunch with you, supper with you. I will fellowship with you day by day as you abide in me. Does that sound good? Well, that's the children's version of, of this message. I hope it will be encouraging. I remember Dr. Solomon finished a conference one time, and a pastor came up to him and he said, Now, if you started with that <laughs> in the conference, I would have understood what you were teaching. He said, Yeah, but you may have been insulted too. Uh, but anyway, that's the Castle Tract. And we have it in paper form. If any of you Sunday school teachers or parents would like a copy, uh, Linda can show you how it works. But um, there's a kind of a paper version where you use, use um, cards here to, uh, to put in and, and illustrate it. So there is a paper version. But uh, it's, we've used it with grown-ups as well as children. Um, I'd like to conclude with uh, another children's piece. And uh, this is... Uh, produced by a friend of ours named Mike Wells. He wrote a children's book called The Gardener's Love. And one of our favorite illustrations in the New Testament about the abundant life is John 15, where the Lord says of himself, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remember that verse, John 15? Well, Michael Wells put that on a child's level, and it's called The Gardener's Love. And a while ago, um, his ministry put it into video form. So here we're going to actually see a visual version of the book. So in the children's version, Alex is a branch who's in a vase. So if we can get the Sentinel to work, I'd like to show it to you. Thanks. Well, I'm out of time. But does anyone have a question or comment about what we covered tonight? Anything I can clarify or anything you want to say about what we, what we shared? Oh, really? Got, got some extra. Anyone have a comment or a word of testimony wanted to share? 
So do you know where you are on the chart? Pastor Dave is talking about Egypt, wilderness, Canaan. So we had someone this week recognize he was in Egypt and prayed to receive Christ as the Lamb of God and praise God, left Egypt. Um, But I think some of us tonight might say, you know, I think I'm in the wilderness. If so, we'd love to pray with you and and counsel you from the Word of God. The Lord is calling us to surrender control to Him. And accept by faith our co-death and co-resurrection and trust Christ to live his life in us and through us like Alex had to learn to trust the vine to bear fruit through his life. So that's the purpose of our conference, to make Galatians 2.20 our testimony. Amen? Great. And that's our prayer as well. Other comments or questions? Or uh, We talked about forgiveness, remember? And we said that there's three dimensions of forgiveness. And the first one is, we call it vertical, where you relinquish any grievances toward someone who has done something to you that hurt you or didn't do, you know, the love they should have to you. And relinquishes between you and God, whether that person has asked for your forgiveness or not. And if they have not asked for your forgiveness, when you relinquish that to God, you're enabled to love them, even if you have loved them as an enemy. Now, what is an enemy? An enemy is someone who you're not yet ready to trust to be uh, safe with you. You know, you, uh, an enemy is someone who has hurt you and they, they haven't indicated that they have any, any change of attitude. But our Lord says, love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. So we are never to hate, we are never to take revenge. So we are to love everyone, including, including our enemies. And one illustration, Pastor David, I didn't remember to mention yesterday, was that one of the most inspiring examples of this is in the New Testament in Acts chapter 7, where a deacon named Stephen was giving this tremendous message. And as he challenges the people there, the same people really who were involved in condemning the Lord Jesus Christ, the Sanhedrin, preaching the gospel to them, uh, they turned on him. And they literally drug him out of there and they stoned him to death, which they legally were not allowed to do, but they martyred him right on the spot. But as Stephen lay dying, the Lord gave him dying grace. He saw a vision of heaven open and Christ standing to receive him. And what was Stephen's final prayer? Lord, do not lay this sin to their charge. His dying breath was a prayer of forgiveness. Only Christ living through you can do that, friends. So we are to love everyone. If you think they're your enemy, love them as an enemy. You don't pretend they're not, but you are to be kind to them, pray for them. Uh, when you reconcile with someone, I call that that now they're your neighbor because you're not expecting them to, to, uh, to harm you. So they're kind of in that middle category of neighbor, and the Lord gives the parable of the Good Samaritan where we are to, to really show compassion and love for, for everyone, especially those that we have an opportunity to help. And then when restoration happens, when healthy communication and love and sharing happens, when you really have more in common with someone, then that's friendship, isn't it? And we celebrate and want to cultivate those friendships, you know, in the body of Christ. So those are the notes we have from last night. If you get a sheet, then then, uh, we can give one to you and um, hope that's a helpful paradigm. And our key verse was Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you and me. Amen. Okay. Yes, ma'am, we have a comment here. Mm, praise God. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. 
there's a verse in Jude that I would like to remind you of. It's a benediction. And since Linda and I uh, will be heading back to Tennessee, appreciate your prayer for Grace Fellowship and for us to, to be used of the Lord. By the way, we're going to Brazil next month, Lord willing, to minister in two pastor and wife conferences there. So I appreciate your prayer for us if the Lord brings us to your mind. Jude, verse 24, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you.